Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford. Coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give us that magical five star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you could like, share, subscribe, follow, or do whatever it is that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, the Lakers Fast Break, Vampires, and Vitae, the Wizards and Wine with Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and so much more. Plus, also as well, you can catch the latest news and trends in pop culture each and every day at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, plus some really in-depth looks at the world of pop culture a really truly in-depth look at the world of pop culture right there for you at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and if you could do all that you could like share and subscribe it is sincerely appreciated but it wouldn't be a pcc multiverse without my good friend she is the hostess with the mostest it is a good friend indeed you got to go ahead and catch what she's doing today as she terrorizes her husband robbie ross each and every time out on vampires of vitae and of course the Wizards of Wine with Wild Beyond the Witchlight, Demolition Force, every Monday right there for you, and so much more. Also, Reckless Moves. She gives her husband a whole bunch of grief there, so check all of that out today if you're into tabletop RPG action. It is the awesome Melinda Barkhouse Ross. And Melinda, you asked me this. Hey, Gerald, we need to do a concept show. So I said, sure, what kind of concept show? You said... Let's play three questions. So great to have you here, my friend. How's everything been going for you? Do you ever have those weeks, Gerald, where just technology is not working for you and it doesn't seem to matter the what you do? It's just not going to be your friend. Have you ever gone through a little that's period of week. that? That's every week for me. <laughs> well, that's definitely how uh, Monday went. So in my wisdom, I decided it would be better if I was in a happy mindset than a frustrated one uh, when we came to uh, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight with the Las Vegas table this past Monday. So we didn't stream, but we did record. And well, Les now has Strahd as a patron. So that's a development in the game, which is going to last for years because we do plan on this being a a long-term campaign with many parts to it. But we also saw a true demonstration of Strahd's power. And we also really understand that every time you ask Strahd for something, it comes with a very high cost. So it was a, it was a really interesting episode and I'm going to get back to editing this week. So we're going to have episodes dropping on a very regular basis again, very, very soon. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a completely off book and I, I'm building my confidence in the the arena of homebrewing by just every once in a while having an episode that I've homebrewed. And I think this one went over really well. And I'm just excited to get the audio out so people can hear it and I can get that feedback. That's so important as a DM. 
not to go ahead and elaborate on this story, part of the pun for the bad D&D joke coming up, but <laughs> your bad week technology-wise, was it because you were touched by the curse of Strahd? <laughs> that was an awesome pig laugh. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was a, it was a really good episode. It was a lot of fun to put together, and uh, I'm excited to get it out into the world and and see what uh, people think of the decisions that were made around the table. Very cool episode. That was a very insider D and D joke. Just want to let you yeah. know. Yeah. So uh, I just, <laughs> it was there. It was it was ripe for the taking. And yes. you know, speaking of corn, because that was very corny. We got mm-hmm. some things that we're going to go ahead and touch on, but the first thing is get your popcorn out because the first question in our three questions for today, because you asked me to come up with three questions. Yes. All right. What movies do you believe will connect with audiences coming up this spring? And that means the next couple of months, because we've got some things coming up, you know, Scream just happened, Scream 6. You know, obviously that's done very well out there in the box office. Uh, This weekend, as this is being dropped, you know, you've got some other stuff that's coming out that are really, really interesting to see. You got Shazam, Fury of the Gods. You've got, you know, uh, obviously the week after that, you've got Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, You know, that's coming out pretty soon. Honor Among Thieves, that's coming out, excuse me, that's coming out at the end of this month. John Wick Chapter 4 is coming up in between. So the next three weeks, because Scream 6 has already happened, you've got Shazam! Fury of the Gods. You've got John Wick Chapter 4. And you've got Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. But I want to stave off the Dungeons & Dragons talk because that's part of another question that's coming up down the road. But when it comes to those first two hits, because you know, there are obviously some other movie releases that are coming out. Luther, The Fall of the Sun, 65, which came out, uh, and I don't think it got the greatest reception in the world for Adam Driver. Um, I know uh, that was a great paycheck movie for him, but I'm worried about where his career is going after this because this is definitely a paycheck movie for him. We've got also as well you know, lining up against Shazam, Fury of the Gods. You've got Inside, Wildflower, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Those are some nice smaller movies that are coming out as well alongside it. And at the end of the month, you've got uh, some other stuff alongside John Wick Chapter 4 and Dungeons & Dragons. But Tetris is probably the one that intrigues me most, but that's more like an Apple Plus adventure as opposed to just being introduced on screen with Taron Edgerton detailing or dramatizing the beginnings of Tetris. But I'm asking this, and actually we're going to touch on Tetris later on in the program on another question because it relates to it. What are your thoughts on movies you think will connect with audiences this spring you know, we'll start off with the rest of this month. I mean, it starts off with Shazam, Fury of the Gods. This is a movie that I think is, I don't want to say it's been sent to die per se, but in that big hullabaloo that was talked about by James Gunn, the new head of DC going forwards, along with Peter Safran as a co-CEO for this, 
He didn't touch on this very much. Didn't really you know, elaborate too much on it. Didn't really show much enthusiasm. It was all about the flash, the flash, the flash. That doesn't bode well for Shazam, Fury of the Gods. The initial reactions have it as okay. Again, similar to what we saw the first time around. Could this be the end of the Shazam IP and Shazam as a character for Zachary Levi? Could it be something that they might go ahead and maybe remodel or redo? Because I don't have high hopes for this movie going forward. And I think that a lot of people are with you on that. I, I don't think it's the fault of the actor. I, I think he's been fine in the role. I just don't know that people care about Shazam all yeah. that much. And I think that that's the real struggle with this phase four for Marvel is now you're getting into characters uh, that are deep, deep, deep lore uh, for Marvel. And it you're a lot of it has to start with origin movies because people need to understand who these characters are and why they need to think about them. You can't just present them in a movie, you know? And then phase five now for Ant-Man and the Wasp. But when it comes to DC, this has been scattershot the way they've done this so far. And now James Gunn wants to go ahead and get all these old projects that are already been filmed or already in production, want to get that out of the way so he could bring his gods and monsters phase after that. But this is going to be a movie, I think, that unfortunately, this a few movie series, a couple of movies that were really never given enough love by Warner Brothers. Because I think that even though, like, like you said, it's not been a very marketable character, it's still been a very fun movie overall. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they're not enjoyable to watch, but in terms of... Uh, people going and spending money at the box office, which is, uh, you know, super important. I, I think a lot of people are just waiting on that one to be able to stream it from home where they can not spend $27 on a large tub of popcorn and a small soda. Yeah, it's just not the kind of movie that you think it's going to be right now really worth spending that kind of dough. And that's something I think that's very sad because we've seen earlier this month with the great success for Creed Three which really mm-hmm. popped some good numbers and Scream 6 was also popped some good numbers that this may or may not follow up in that same fashion. I think people are pointing towards a movie in March and all blessings to Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which I will be going to. There's also a movie that I also want to see and I think a lot of people want to see a movie series that has grown in intensity over the past uh, two, three iterations now, it's in its fourth iteration, and that is John Wick Chapter 4. A lot of people are excited for this film. They've heard pretty good advanced word on it. A lot of people are excited for it. You know you're going to get a lot of action. You're going to get a lot of Keanu Reeves brooding all over the place. Just leave me alone. Just want to don't want to kill anymore. Just want to just go home, chill with my dog maybe drive my fancy uh, high-powered car, my muscle car around all over the place. But this is a movie, besides that, it's a it's become a globe-trotting adventure because, you know, with, with original John Wick, you know it was a lower budget, less of a gamble film, but it has evolved with the, the budgets getting larger and larger because the success has been there consistently your thoughts on john wick chapter four with keanu reeves reprising role and it looks like it's not going to slow down anytime soon 
Yeah, it's a hundred percent the movie that's going to get me back into the movie theaters. It, it's going to do that. Uh, Robbie and I went to see John Wick three in theaters, um, and I can see that being uh, a thing that we just continue to do. I can remember watching uh, the first John Wick movie on Netflix. I didn't go to the movie this, or to the theater to see it because I had read really terrible reviews about it. So I just kind of sat down um, on the couch and popped it on the tv and i was on the edge of my couch for that entire movie it's so good yeah and what's wonderful is they continue to crank out the same level of intensity and they're finding interesting ways to keep you engaged in the ip which i think is interesting i thought one and two i thought two is the best one is really good Three is okay. I thought there was some contriveness and some uh, staged things that really didn't flatter the movie as well. Uh, I think that to me was, a, you know, a still okay movie, but I didn't find it as as good as the first two films. But that doesn't temper my enthusiasm because, again, if I've had good experiences two out of three times. I'm really looking forward to betting on the fact that this could be a great time the fourth time around. Yeah, absolutely. Two out of three ain't bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and then also you've got it, it. The success of it is leading to spinoffs with the Continental, which details the beforehand of the famous hotel or sanctuary for a lot of these individuals that are engaging in that lifestyle of the hitman, hitwoman type of lifestyle. And then you've got so much more, I think, is, is left in the John Wick universe uh, that could be even detailed even more. I still think that there will be a John Wick Chapter 5 if this pops uh, up, even a decent number. I still think there's no slowing it down. But the advanced wording, the advanced ticket sales suggest that it could be a really good hit, at least for the first weekend for John Wick. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, the, the John Wick movies are giving us an opportunity to take a bit of a, a break, I, I think, from going to the movie theaters and watching uh, more comic book movies. And I'm not saying that in, in a, any kind of way to take any kind of shot at going to see a, a comic book movie. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, what I'm trying to say is John Wick, um, arguably, um, is just, a, you know, a, a dude who got, you know, pulled back into this crazy lifestyle that he's living and I'm not saying that we can all imagine ourselves as John Wick, but I'm kind of saying it's easier to imagine yourself as John Wick than it is to imagine yourself as, let's say, Superman or Thor, for example. There's something oh, no, like, I don't know if altruistic is the word that I want to use, mm -hmm. but there, there's just something that, you know, gives you the opportunity with movies uh, that are just like dudes going out and doing a thing. And I'm saying dudes to encompass all genders there. So it's just finally feels refreshing to see somebody with achievable and attainable goals go out and, and do a thing that with the training we could do. But if you're like Superman, you're not going to fly. So yeah. it's hard to kind of put yourself in, in those kinds of stories, in those kinds of situations. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA... Check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, this is the true meaning of a blockbuster. 
yeah, absolutely. Know, a series that grew up from a low budget, low expectations, exceeding those expectations greatly, getting granted a sequel with a little bit more cash that exceeded expectations. Then you have John Wick Chapter Three given a little bit more cash, and despite what my, you know, uh, what I said about it it still earned a ton of cash and exceeded expectations of the box office. So it has exceeded expectations of the box office each and every time out. So definitely looking forward to seeing now that the bar has been set higher. It is not a true one to $200 million blockbuster yet, but it's darn close. So it start, it, it needs to start thinking about doing that 50, 75, $100 million opening in order to justify its continuous as a series. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and I, I really think that, uh, you know, chapter four is going to be another one that they have expectations. It's going to exceed that by a little bit. I, I think that it is going to be the movie that people talk about for, you know, two, maybe even three weeks after the movie is premiered uh, to the worldwide audience. So I, I'm expecting good things coming out of this John Wick movie. After that, though, it is the week after, at the end of March, it is Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Amongst Thieves, and I will be checking out this movie. This, to me, is the wild card in this equation. I have no idea how well it's going to perform financially. Even if it gets bad reviews, or even decent reviews, or good reviews, I'm not even sure how well it's going to do, because will people not necessarily involved or interested in tabletop rpg gaming will they go to it and see it as a fun fantasy level movie is there still a draw for fantasy movies that's what i think the key is i think this is a fun interesting light-hearted movie that i'm going to most likely enjoy i really was looking forward to it just I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because Chris Pine is playing more of a Captain Kirk Star Trek type character and I'm wisecracking and, and you know the whole gang is there just trying to go off and are they actually trying to save the world or are they just trying to one up each other? Those type of things that uh, I like that chemistry that they have in this in the short amount of time I've seen it. Uh, and I know we're going to discuss this a little bit more when we talk about our second question, but this to me is the wild card as far as how well it's going to perform. I have no idea how well it's going to perform. Usually I have a good idea. Usually I have a good perception on that. Usually I'm, I'm, I, you know, Josh has noted to me and I, I, I've been pretty good as far as seeing if whether a movie is going to be a success or not. But with this movie, I don't know how well it's going to translate to a larger audience than D&D Hardcore's. I think it's I think it's going to um, have a pretty wide appeal. I think the movie is going to do okay. I don't think it's going to be uh, you know something that breaks a box office or, or anything like that. I think it's going to do all right, and I think it's going to be welcoming enough to an audience that might not be super familiar with D and D. But I think it's going to have enough of those inside jokes uh, for those D and D players to go and see the movie and and find uh, the humor and part of being part of that inner circle that, that understands why seeing a, a mimic do what a mimic does is kind of funny. So I think that people are going to enjoy it on very different levels. Um, but I think the movie is just going to do okay. I think the streaming numbers for this movie are going to be crazy, to be honest. 
I, I agree with you. If promoted properly, I, I think yeah. it will have a nice run on streaming. Again, I'm not sure how well it's going to do financially up front. So that's going to be very interesting to see, especially the fact that less than a week later, you've got not one, but two pretty good contenders coming out of the gate with Super Mario Brothers movie, which Universal has a lot of high hopes on. Nintendo has a lot of high hopes on. Chris Pratt aside, and also air with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. I've actually gone on record to say I'm not exactly thrilled to see Matt Damon in the role of Sonny Vaccaro, who is the scout that discovered, not discovered Michael Jordan per se, but actually lined up Michael Jordan with Nike so that the creation of the Air Jordan brand could come into fruition. I'm not exactly with him being placed in his role because, you know, if you look, if you knew Sonny Vaccaro, the scout in real life, it's nowhere near what, what Matt Damon, but then again, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, their best friends, whatever, you know, most people don't know this. So they're probably going to go ahead and get beyond that little thing I said, but that movie is in question as far as how well it's going to do, because it, it, it may not cater to a general audience as well, unless it gets really high marks as far as the drama, as far as a critical reception is concerned. So I have no idea how that movie is going to do as well. The Super Mario Brothers movie, I know is going to kill it in that weekend. I don't know if it'll totally dust over Dunsons and Dragons in air, but I have a feeling it's going to do very well. It's going to be very front loaded. A lot of people are excited I don't see the same type of ending or scenario that this movie will get that as opposed to 30 years ago plus when the last time Nintendo tried to make a Mario Brothers film and put that on screen. I think I see a much better financial happy ending for this film than that one. I hope so. I, I hope that Super Mario does well. I you know, I, I think that there's a level of nostalgia now where there may not have been uh, with the previous movie. I, I think that uh, we may be coming into another cycle of everything old is new again. Like the low rise pants are coming back well, from the nineties. Oh my bad. god! That yeah, live action—that was. was a live action failure. I mean, it has now been thought of now as a cult film because a lot of people have now seen it because they just, you know, it's so bad. It, it's good type of deal. So the reason why it, it bombed was because it was just plainly a bad film. Right. But I, I do think that there, there is a, a streak of nostalgia uh, that's kind of coming back around again right now. And, and I think it is going to be a situation of uh, right, uh, right movie, right time um, for that one. So I think it's going to do pretty good. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Air, like I said, I don't know what, what kind of audience will go see it because the audiences that have in the past gone to see dramas of this type have not come back as strong after the pandemic than what was once there. So I don't know how well it's going to do in a box office format. But again, like we are talking about with Dungeons & Dragons, we could see a nice little bump up in streaming simply because of Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. So we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll see. I think that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm excited. And I know it's not the main point of the movie, but I'm so excited to see Nick Cage as Dracula for Renfield oh, that I can, that I, I can, like I can barely stand myself. I'm so excited. And that's coming up on the 14th of April. So we're into yeah. April right now. We already talked about Super Mario Brothers and Air, which are coming out on the 5th. 
I know we're bypassing paint with Owen Wilson, which is a Bob Ross parody per se. And I'm not sure everybody's really going to get into that. Uh, the the Pope's Exorcist with Russell Crowe. Those paint and the Pope's Exorcist are coming out in the seventh. And I have a feeling they're both going to get blown away by Super Bar the Super Mario Brothers movie and also Air and also Dungeons and Dragons and also John Wick Chapter 4 and even people that are, might even still be seeing Shazam. So those movies are probably going to be waiting to do more on streaming as well. But Renfield, like you said, Nicolas Cage, Nicholas Holt in a Nicholas movie with Aquafina, <laughs> Renfield, the story. I find this interesting because it does approach the Dracula motif in a probably a different slant than we've ever seen before, similar to what the series was with Alfred. And they looked at his backstory as opposed to Batman's sidekick or Batman's butler. They looked at his story for over three seasons. They're looking at Renfield and more of his relationship and how he came to become the right-hand individual for Dracula. So I have a feeling with your Vampires of Vitae background, you're looking forward to this, like I believe you said. So I think you're looking forward to this as well. I am. Yeah. I mean, and for a number of reasons, I'm always going to support, you know, a, a vampire movie in theaters because I, you know, obviously impartial, but I'm so excited just to see Nicolas Cage completely unhinged in this movie. If he doesn't go like top tier level 10 Nicolas Cage in the role of Dracula, I'm going to be so horrifyingly disappointed. I want to see Nick Cage be as Nick Cage as possible in this movie. I'll tell you, I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be mm -hmm. crazy. He did make some statements recently about how life's not life is not going to be over for him, even though he's a comic book geek. In fact, his stage name, Nick Cage, came from mm -hmm. Luke Cage. That he, if he doesn't ever get it part of a Marvel Cinematic Universe turn or his character as Ghost Rider is never brought back, he said life is not over for him. So he didn't seem too disappointed on that. So. It'll be interesting to see, you know, now that there's a full Nick Cage renaissance, how well Renfield does as it matches up. The rest of the month is devoted to a little bit more horror and a little bit more drama. Evil Dead Rise, The Covenant with Jake Gyllenhaal. There's, uh, I guess, uh, maybe you say, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret with Rachel McAdams. Yeah, don't Not forget... On a wing and a prayer as well with uh, Dennis Quaid. I think that one's going to do pretty well. Yeah, that I I think so because it, it caters to a religious audience and those religious movies, uh, yeah. similar to what we see with anime movies and some other movies, they're very front loaded. So you can see mm -hmm. some success right around the Easter market for that. So I, I agree with you on that. But nothing really stands out as a big box office hit until we get to Guardians of the Galaxy. So that's something we're going to go ahead and touch on in a summer movie preview in, in the upcoming weeks, because definitely uh, the summer movie season is definitely going to be upon us by then. But any last thoughts on some surprises or some standouts before we head on out for the months of, you know, whatever's left of March and into April? I, I really do. I just feel like the, the Renfield movie, I don't know how much uh, the studios are, is like banking on this movie. I just, I've got a funny feeling that it's going to do a lot better than it's expected to. 
And uh, I, I'm not sure why I feel that way. Maybe it's just because of the Nick Cage renaissance that's happening, but I just feel like it's going to do really, really well. Well, it's placed a lot better than the Shazams and the Dungeons mm. and Dragons of the world because you have, as we mentioned, Shazam, John Wick, Dungeons and Dragons, Super Mario Brothers, back to back to back to back. And then by the time Renfield comes out, that's the middle of April. So you have like maybe two weeks to go ahead and capitalize if it's good and people catch on to it before Guardians of the Galaxy hits. So that could be something you are very correct on. So it does have a window of opportunity laid out to it. Yeah, fingers are crossed anyway. Absolutely, fingers are crossed indeed. But if you have thoughts on the movies coming up over the next six weeks, please let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything going on within the realm of movies. And your opinions on what's hot and what's not, please let us know your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the Pop Culture Cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Action Figure Adventure is back with Season 2, and we're going further than ever before, checking out more toy stores than ever before, and seeing more incredible, iconic, and noteworthy pieces than you could possibly imagine. Once again, Jay grapples with how to build the ultimate action figure auction to support critically and terminally ill kids in need. Along the way, we'll chat about holy grail figures, perfect action figures, and showcase some incredible toy collections. Action Figure Adventure Season 2. Well, that's one question down, my friend. You said to come up with three questions. So a second question I have for you is the one you want to get into most and the one you want to talk about most. So we talked a little bit about it as far as the Dungeons & Dragons movie is concerned. And that is after the scandal and controversy that ended, I guess, early February, I'd say. Yeah, that's fair. It took over January, late December about the controversy with Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, and Dungeons and & Dragons, and how they wanted to go ahead and reshape the future of Dungeons & Dragons, and in many ways were continuing and playing the series. They had to obviously take a step back, a big step back, a running step back. Mm-hmm. I almost felt like they had to do a backflip because they had to do so much stepping back on it. Uh, they tried to make amends. They've tried to walk back everything that they said and did or was hinting at because it was actually originally a leak that started all this and went downhill from there. Has the Dungeons & Dragons IP, which has been a cornerstone of the tabletop RPG industry for the past 40 years plus, has that name been irreparably damaged this is a tough question uh and it's a tough question for a lot of reasons uh the things that we learned during the uh ogl i'm going to call just refer to it as a fiasco during the fiasco mm-hmm. um it became very clear that their plans for one D, which is the next kind of iteration of D that's coming out um is really going to take Dungeons and Dragons from a paper, pen, pencil, uh, sitting around a table with your friends game and turn it into a largely digital situation. And and I can't say I blame them for seeing it that way. Yeah, no. And, and like I said, and I've said all along, nobody is upset at a company for wanting to make money off of a piece of property that they well, own. Seeing Nobody's... the future. 
Right. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're going to have their own virtual tabletop, which is great. That's going to be wonderful. And they're going to continue to make improvements to D&D Beyond, which they purchased as, I think, uh, kind of a, the first indicator that uh, they're looking at going largely digital. I have heard that they're not going to be publishing books once 1D&D becomes the, plat- the the version of the game that they're working on. I don't know how much of that is true. A lot of it uh, I, I think is they will, right now. But they, they may have digital exclusives uh, yeah, because that... it is costly for them to publish out those nice hardcover books. You know, As we talked about with our friends from Free League Publishing, and I gave to you all those sweet starter kits for all those different tabletop RPG games. It is something where you see where it is, it gets costly. It gets expensive to create those. So I can see digital formats, just similar like we see in the video game world. Some games will come out in a hard copy. Some games will just come out digital only. Yeah, but I, I do think that uh, the the way that looks like they're taking Dungeons & Dragons is to take it and, and turn it into uh, largely and solely digital product and game and experience. And and that's fine because, uh, you know, with the, the kind of players uh, that that's going to continue to attract to the game are, are very comfortable playing in that digital world. And because of COVID, when that happened, uh, a lot of people just switched to digital platforms and a lot of people never went back to sitting around a table with a well, pencil How did we paper. meet? How did we meet? Yeah. How do you, Robbie, and I meet? Uh, how did Roger and I start demolition force how did we meet in the first place it was all digital it's so funny that now it's i think we're three years in and there are still people that i play online with on a regular basis and you know this as well that we just have never met in person but you know them so well because you've spent hours upon hours you know of, of game time with them but and you and you can play with people all around the world that you could couldn't play with before i mean mitch you yeah. know, he's always talked about he's such a great DM and he's done such a great job with his games, but he has regular players, what, in South Africa, in yep. Europe, you know, mm-hmm. you've had regular players in Europe before, uh, you know, all around the world, all around the country, Canada, you did yep. every week, you see people in Canada that you interact and play game with. So it's something, I guess, that's an evolvement of the actual IP. I don't think it'll go 100% away from the hardcover format. I just think it's asking too much, especially for something as far as something that is rooted so much in a tabletop, everybody come together at the house type experience. I think they will always have some of that, but I do see like you, a vast majority of it going online digital just because of the worldwide experiences you can now have. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's the the long way of just saying I, I think that Dungeons and Dragons is changing and evolving right now, and I think that the things that people were upset about with the OGL and uh, continuing to make third party content and stuff like the that. The OGL stands for Open Gaming License, just to let everybody know. Right. Yeah. So it, I think that a lot of that is going to stay focused on 5e and previous uh, editions of Dungeons and Dragons. I think. And if I was Hasbro, this is probably how I would do it. So I can't even be upset about it. But I think with all of the new stuff that I do for 1D&D, it would be under a very strict um, open license if I had an open license for it at all, for the ability for people to go ahead and, and create third-party content. I think I would make that much more difficult. But go ahead and open up all of the previous stuff. That seems to be kind of what they've done, I think. And 
I don't know how many people that have been playing 5e, 3.5, 4e, you know, the first edition of the game. I don't know how many of those people are truly going to buy into a almost exclusively digital experience with Dungeons and Dragons. So I, what I'm trying to say is I, I do think that there, it was a great deal of harm done to the Dungeons and Dragons experience, not experience, but the Dungeons and Dragons IP. But I don't think that it was enough for the casual player to really care that much. It, the, the people that were upset about this the most, I think, were, uh, you know, third party creators, people who podcast, people who live stream. And I, I think that the casual player who's not interested in doing a podcast, who's not part of a live stream, who really does just want to sit around and, and tell some jokes and get into some shenanigans with their friends. Uh, I don't think that they are really the people who are out looking for new gaming systems to adapt uh, and adopt and bring into their homes and, and at their tables. Um, I think that D&D is going to continue to be strong because it is your gateway drug into the tabletop world. It just is. It's the most well-known. It's 5e made it so easy to learn and so easy to run a game as a DM. And uh, I think that one D&D and the elimination, really, of the role of a dungeon master, and you can go on and you can play Dungeons & Dragons by yourself. You don't even have to have a group anymore. Um, I think that that's going to continue to appeal to people as Dungeons & Dragons takes on this next evolution. But I think there is damage that has been done to the IP. And uh, I think that those who buy into the digital stuff for Dungeons & Dragons are the people who are not as... Um, aware of exactly what these changes that they were trying to do to the OGL uh, really meant to the overall community. Once again, it's the Pop Culture Cosmos, the PCC multiverse, that is, and Melinda's here answering three questions, <laughs> hopefully a lot better than I can, because I had a little bit of trouble trying to figure out the answer myself, because Dungeons & Dragons has been so well known for the past 40 years. And like you said, yeah. it is a gateway drug into a larger realm of tabletop RPG. All the, the games that you've played outside of Dungeons & Dragons have a world of debt to go ahead and thank Dungeons & Dragons for because almost every player, I'm going to say every player, but almost every player that plays tabletop RPG now can thank Dungeons & Dragons for their first time, whether they play Pathfinder, whether they play Forgotten Realms, The One Ring, you know, all these tens and tens and hundreds and hundreds of tabletop RPGs that are out there, Blade Runner RPG, even more, all the stuff that's out there, they all probably can thank, to some extent, Dungeons & Dragons for allowing people to understand the world of tabletop RPG even more. I think everybody, or most everybody, going into a tabletop RPG saying, okay, the first time I actually played a tabletop RPG was with Dungeons & Dragons, and then they moved on from there. But I, I do think that as the evolvement of Dungeons & Dragons continues and the, and the one D&D concept is going to be either loved or hated by the community, I think we could still see a shift in the importance of Dungeons & Dragons because of the fact that there's now so many options and variables for people to go ahead and play a tabletop role-playing game. 
Yeah, and I think too, um, what this did, and I think it's going to make the the hobby of uh, being a tabletop uh, game enthusiast is that a lot of those third party creators who had been creating content for Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of them have decided, you know what? Forget about it. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to create my own system and I'm going to start creating content for my own game. And that's so exciting as somebody who is in the the tabletop realm, because a lot of those people are people that I have looked to uh, to help me understand more of the nuances that uh, you come across in Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, names like uh, Matt Covell, he's he's got his own game coming. You know, different creators are, are doing some really interesting and exciting stuff. And uh, I, I think that um, there's there's good and bad that have come out of the situation with the Dungeons and Dragons and Hasbro. I, I do think it has tarnished the IP, but I, I don't think that there it's possible for it to be killed or squashed, you know? No, I don't think Dungeons and Dragons is going away anytime soon. I don't want to give anybody the impression that that is the case. It will be the leader for many years to come, despite the controversy. Mm-hmm. I just think that irreparable gap, I just think the inevitable gap that it already has, you know, the, the dominance in the marketplace, what, 90% uh, or 95% or whatever humongous variation gap from... Dungeons and Dragons to let's say Warhammer or let's say Pathfinder or anything else as far as whatever number two is there's such a huge gap between those heading into 2022 late 2022 before all this started that I don't think that will ever be made up entirely but that gap can narrow a little bit because people may like you said just because the frustrations over what happened earlier this year and late last year we'll start thinking about new opportunities and new adventures going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I know as well, locally speaking, you know, as as all of that was happening, you would go into a game shop looking for, let's say, a Pathfinder book. And, you know, the the people working in the game shop would be like, Pathfinder, nobody plays Pathfinder. And the, the advice was always, brace yourself and you should probably get some core Pathfinder books in uh, because the next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting in your game shop. So now uh, a lot of those games that were maybe a little harder to find are very accessible right now when you go into a game shop, which again, I I think is, is a credit to uh, the people who were so upset about it. And instead of just whining about it and moping about it on the internet, they, they went out and they searched for new things and they searched for different games and uh, looking for ways to take what they had already been playing perhaps in a D&D system and transfer it over into Pathfinder, which, you know, the, the two systems are similar enough that it can be done with, you know, a reasonable amount of, of difficulty. Um, so I, I think that um, just walking into your game shop and seeing the, the different games now that you may not have seen before January and early February happened um, is indication enough of uh, what is happening right now with this weird transition, but not really a transition that's happening in, in the consumer end anyway of the, the tabletop role-playing game community. So your final thoughts on this, because well, actually it's not going to be your final thoughts because I have a feeling we're going to probably be touching on this from time to time. It's it's just a feeling because I know how passionate you are about tabletop RPG gaming. I know how much part of your life, uh, Robbie Ross's life it is. I know since I've met both of you and interacted with you and Demolition Force for years and, and how much enjoyment 
when it's good, when it's really good, how much enjoyment you both get out of it. Any last thoughts on this for now, as far as, you know, your feelings on the D&D IP, what it's going to take to get D&D back in the good graces of some, or even many, to the point where they feel comfortable about D&D going forward? I, I don't really have much of an answer for you for that question. And it's only because I am actively homebrewing my own content for the next part of the story that we're telling with the, particularly the Las Vegas table. Um, mm -hmm. And I have some big plans for the Halifax table. They're going to be transitioning over into Pathfinder. Uh, so we uh, have some educational sessions coming up, I, I suppose is the way to do it. Uh, just some extra time that I get to spend with the, my girls back home. And as we all learn and, and discover a new system. So um, on a personal level, I'm taking a step back from Dungeons and Dragons with the stuff that I personally run. Um, I'm still going to be a player in people's games. I, I'm still going to be involved that way. But when what I run at my table is going to be less and less core Dungeons and Dragons focused. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. Once again, it's Pizza City Multiverse. It is Melinda Barkhouse Ross and me, Gerald Glassford. But before we head it out, it is question number three. Mm hmm on the three questions. And I love this show. I love this show the way that you structured it as far as three <laughs> questions. Although next time you redo this, you've got to make sure you put out the three questions because the three questions were very, they hurt my head trying to come up with them. Right, because they have to be big questions because you yes. still have time to fill. So they have to be yes. bigger questions. Yeah. Absolutely. So this one I think is going to be a good one to finish off. We just finished off the success of The Last of Us, which was such a tremendous, tremendous show. I think without a doubt, everybody out there should be saying, if you haven't already, that this is probably the greatest video game adaptation of all time. And the bar is not really that high. As you and I both have seen, especially me working in the entertainment industry, actually from my past working in special effects and actually working on a video game adaptation double dragon which uh, i know the other day on ign was given a shout out for being campy and so bad it's good like we talked about with the super mario brothers movie the original one so many years ago that it's so bad it's it's good type of deal i still think it's bad but hey i got a credit <laughs> on it so what can i say uh, when it comes to video game adaptations, in my opinion, and I've said this for decades, the entertainment industry has never taken it seriously, ever. They've never applied the resources, never applied the creative, uh, I guess, thought process behind it. Even when I was uh, working on Double Dragon, you could see 
the kind of, of costs that they were throwing out there and what they were going to get as a package for our special effects, much less any type of cohesive action or storyline or acting or anything of that nature, you could see it wasn't going to be anything that was going to be remembered fondly any number of years from then. But when it comes to the adaptation since then, I was hoping for better. I was hoping for more. I mean, as I saw the variations in Tomb Raider, I saw the variations in other gaming adaptations. We've seen Rampage with The Rock. Uh, we've seen other types of Uncharted. We've seen mm -hmm. other types of video game adaptations over the years leading up and into last year, which you know was a big year for video game adaptations with Halo and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was thought of, and probably by us, is probably the best video game adaptation before The Last of Us, and that's only because it, it scored well with audiences as far as box office is concerned. It is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just Jim Carrey twirling his mustache to a CGI hedgehog for close to two hours each and every time out. But hey, it worked. It got audiences in there, and it's actually going to bring a trilogy to a head as well. So that's going to be great to continue that franchise, a franchise which has had like 50 different variations in the gaming format and has really not achieved the same level of success. It's so funny because it has never achieved the same level of success that it did on the Genesis, even though every year we see a ton of uh, mobile gaming or console gaming options for Sonic that is almost made regularly and produced regularly because it just... It's the gift that keeps on giving, but it just never seems to break out the way it once did. But leave it to the movie makers. They found a way to go ahead and monopolize or make money out of a IP, which, again, was having declining returns. That leads me into the question I have for you now, because The Last of Us has given me hope that there is a future of good to great video game adaptations and that can be a future if hollywood takes these video game ips seriously your thoughts on this will we go forward in a positive way with video game adaptations or will we take a step back where we'll see more as they said during the wii era more shovelware that is going to be at the bottom of the bin of a clearance bin that you will see at your local department store sometime soon I think for the like the immediate future, like the next couple of years, I think that it's going to be a little bit more hit and miss as people try to figure it out. Because there is an um, absolute ton of video game adaptations that are on the way. Yeah, absolutely. So you got The Last of Us. We have The Witcher, which, uh, you know, did actually, exactly what yeah, I don't know. Can you really say that's a, yeah, it's kind of a video game. It's actually, is it more of a book adaptation than a video game adaptation? Sure. I mean, the, the argument can be made, but uh, you know, I was, I was familiar with the Witcher from the video games, not the book. As was so I. I, as was yeah. I. So, but I think that as long as you have somebody at the helm of the movie or the television show who is passionate about the game and is really doing their best to make sure that the people who play this game are going to be receptive to the content in their television show or their movie, I think we're going to be okay. But if we go back to people who just see, for example, Call of Duty and just see it as a cash grab, we're going to make this movie. It doesn't matter what it's about. They're going Which to come. Which is what I'm afraid of. of. Right. And that, I think, is where we've been, you know, more often than not. 
So when you're seeing people like Henry Cavill come in and say, no, I'm, this is my passion. uh, And they get involved at the producer, executive producer levels where they're really making decisions that really impact the project. um, I think that we're going to keep seeing improvements on that kind of content. And I'm optimistic that this means that now that we have these examples of things as the high watermark, we now have a clear target that we're aiming for. And if you're not delivering on that level of, uh, we're going to use the word excellence here just because it's the correct vernacular. But, you know, if, if you're really aiming for the, the level of excellence that came out of The Last of Us, then, you know, even if you miss it by a little bit, you're still yards ahead of what other adaptations have done. So I'm optimistic. The low bar is low. The high bar is very, very high. But as long as the majority is coming out and it's hitting closer to the high bar than the low bar, I think we're doing all right. Because I don't include Warhammer because Warhammer is more of a, you know, origins are tabletop RPG. That's where Henry Cavill who's helping develop the series is his he where he developed it. I understand that he brought out video games, some really good video games, by the way, mm-hmm. that you yeah. need to check out. But it's still mainly thought of as a tabletop RPG. I still think of, and I think the Netflix creators adapted it more to the book series as opposed to what the game series. In fact, they, the game series in its uh, most recent update in The Witcher 3 actually added some stuff from Netflix, which originates also from from the book so i really think more of it as a book adaptation as well but when like you talk about with call of duty when you talk about twisted metal coming this later this year to Mm -hmm. peacock when you talk about fallout series to amazon when you talk about all the stuff that sony wants to put out there with ghost of Tsushima and also as well days gone which is so funny because days are gone the producer hightailed it because he said bad things about sony and the studio was like uh they're, they're not working anymore days gone games but hey We'll make a television show or movie out of it. Got to go ahead and do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You got you know, That's kind of funny how they think of it in that concept, but can't put it out another sequel to Days Gone. Gran Turismo, how seriously they go ahead and make that game. Is it going to be something in a more popcornish fashion, or is it going to be something more of a drama type format, like, like we saw from Ford versus Ferrari? That was something mm-hmm. that I thought was a, a really good ideal and concept, and hoping to see it somewhat in that format to take the Gran Turismo concept and put it in that that style. But yeah, all these different video game adaptations that are coming out, I am worried about how seriously they're going to take these future adaptations. Well, and like I said, I, I think that we're at a point as well where a lot of the people who are in those producer, executive producer, writer roles are of an age where they grew up playing a lot of the games that they are now producing things for. So mm-hmm. I think that that is also very helpful because you have people who understand the content they're trying to take on. And that is so important to a fandom uh, to understand first the IP and the story, and then be, have the ability to, to kind of bring a story to a screen and make it compelling and make it interesting. And also have those fun little member berries that are placed through the movies and the TV shows that are almost like those inside jokes for people who have been playing the games for so long. I think I really do think that that's a key piece of the recipe. Okay. 
Well, before we head on out, I do want to go ahead and say this is gonna, I'm going to get on my soapbox again. And anybody who's listened to this show or our series of shows for any amount of time knows that right behind me, I've got a ton of Mass Effect. And <laughs> the rumor, according to Deadline, was that Amazon has, like they already announced a Fallout series of production, that they were also circling around a Mass Effect, but I never heard anything more. Never heard a peep, so I never heard if that's ever come to fruition or not. So maybe the price tag that would be involved, I think, is probably steering people maybe away or steering these companies away from a Mass Effect series or movie. I would put it as a series now, thinking more about it as I do, but you know, it is a space opera. And you need a lot of CGI. And if you need a lot of CGI and you need a space opera and you need a lot of stuff that go on, goes into it, it is going to have to be done well and it's going to have to be very expensive in order to come across. So I understand there's a, probably a little bit of trepidation, but if Netflix or Amazon, if Disney jumps all over this, I could really see something special. And if, if it's really done well in the same vein as The Last of Us, as far as how seriously they took the material. I mean, if they bring the the guy behind the Mass Effect series, they bring the guy behind it, Casey Hudson, and and did it in the way that Neil Druckmann has done it, working with the showrunners of the actual series. They could really make something special out of this and really make something that could branch off into a universe all of its own. I was going to ask you the question about what series or game game IP that you would put onto the screen, but I already know that answer because this is something that's very passionate for you and actually something that could in its own unique way and not just an animated way as an animated series i know it would work but as a live action way it would also be a costly series because you'd have to do a lot of cgi too but diablo is something that i think that you would love to go ahead and see especially with the open beta that's coming around here I think Diablo would also present itself as an outstanding opportunity for an entertainment property to evolve beyond just the video game format. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I don't know if it exists. I can't believe that I haven't looked or thought of it until right now. But it would also make a quality RPG. Diablo, as an IP, making a transition to movie or television would be incredibly difficult, purely because of the subject matter. I, I think that that would be a tough sell, really. But with the success of shows like Evil, which was such a good show, and I'm sad that I haven't been able to watch it because it moved to a service that I don't have and it's not a regular cable anymore. The tone of the show was correct. and not saying that it's right for, for a Diablo game, but I think that it flirting with what it would be to almost do like a, a pre-story for the events of Diablo. I mean, I would personally enjoy seeing it. I don't know who I would trust to do it, though, outside of like a Peter Jackson, really. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know who I would trust to do it. I don't know who I would want to write it. I definitely don't know who I would want in terms of actors um, to be cast in it. I'm not sure. It is the PC Multiverse. For the latest news and trends in pop culture, there's no better place to go than the Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. So for Melinda Barkhouse Ross, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping 
you have yourself. Agreed.